0: And it is my joy this morning to open up God's Word, and I trust you're ready. I'm hoping God's going to lead me into saying exactly what needs to be said, and you know my temptation is to say a bit too much. But rather too much than too little, okay? And this morning, it's my joy to introduce a change in where we are going in terms of the focus of uh, our preaching. And I want to introduce to you this morning... A series that we are going to be calling for the Father's eyes only. And uh, I want to show you what I mean by that this morning and introduce to you something that will break up in chunks over a period of time, so we won't hit them uh, indefinitely. We will have breaks in between. But for today, I want to introduce to you what it means this morning to be a Christian. Maybe some of you have joined us from our tough questions series. But this morning, I want us to understand very clearly what Jesus means when he talks about a follower of him. And uh, I want to just explain briefly why we are tackling scripture the way we are. And I understand if some of us here this morning are asking, why are we moving so slowly? I mean, we've taken a year to do one chapter, not so. I want to say as elders, we are convinced This approach to Scripture is the best for you and me. Can I explain why this morning? Because the day and age we live in, we must not forget what kind of impact it has on the way we think about the spiritual life. This is very important. We live in a day and age that is instant, right? I said to Marina, you know you're in trouble when I cannot wait for the two minutes on my electric toothbrush to be finished. I sit there going... Surely now it's done, and it keeps going and going and going. And sometimes I have to push stop because I can't wait two minutes. Can I say to you this morning, this instant approach to society has a massive impact on our spiritual life because the spiritual life and growing growing in Christ is totally different. Not so? Let me tell you, it takes time to know God and become like Him. Amen? Amen? And the second is this. Our society, we are, we are in full control of our lives. We pick and choose what we want to watch. Not so. Netflix. Any of you have Netflix here? Or DSTV. Let me tell you, if you don't like what you watch, you just change the channel. Not so. You don't even have to go to the shop. You go online and you, you, you look for what you want online. Not so. Some of our sportsmen, you love looking at what the next equipment is. And all of it is you can pick and choose. In other words... We have this attitude towards our lives that we get to determine what we get to hear and listen to. Can I say to you, we have the same attitude to God's word. If I had to ask you honestly this morning, how many of us handle God's word in a way where we just let it come to us as it comes? I'd say not many. Many of us probably choose our favorite scriptures or choose our favorite books of the Bible and when it comes to preaching, the danger is in the church, we pick and choose what we think we need to, and what we like to hear. Not so? I'm going to explain why that's dangerous. The third problem is this, is glitzy entertainment. Can I tell you, when I go onto YouTube and I look at the worship, when you look at the worship of the big churches, man, there's lights, there's screens, there's action. Not so? And if you listen to preaching, I tell you, it is so intimidating for me. Preachers online, they've got all these slides up and these videos, and it's so glitzy. Let me tell you, the problem with our generation of Christians is this, is that when they wake up the next morning, after have to open their ordinary Bibles. They can't do it because it's so boring. I'm concerned that for you and I, you know, a lot of the Christian life happens through ordinary time with the Lord's. And we can't cope. We, we want the next thing. We want the next best speaker. We want the next best joke. We want the next best fad. We, we want the popular approach to entertainment. But I tell you now, the way a Christian grows is the discipline of waking up in the morning when you'd rather be in bed or when you're going to bed at night, you don't want to go into bed just yet, when you open up your Bible and there is the ordinary blank page and you've got to do the discipline of seeking and praying to God who is unseen and often unglitzy, Not so? And so why do we preach like this? Where we take our time? Well, the first is this. If we are going to grow in Scripture, my friend, it is a lifelong pursuit. You cannot get it in one Sunday. We want all of Scripture to be done in a topical overview way and kind of rammed down our throats. Let me tell you, if you're going to grow into the glory that God has for you to reveal of Christ in you coming out, it's going to take some time. And it comes through this, the attitude of how you approach God's Word. Can I say to you this morning, if you believe you are under the authority of God's Word, which we do as Christians, then I ask you, do you let it come to your life as it stands? You see, why we preach like this and we go through verse by verse and piece by piece is we're letting God's word speak to us as it comes. We're not trying to fashion it to our desires. We're letting ourselves be fashioned to it. Not so. Let me tell you, this way of preaching, you will discuss things that you had never thought of. It will start to confront things in your life that you never thought to deal with. And it gives you the sense of my life is coming under the authority of God's word. I am being fashioned by its voice It's not being fashioned by mine. And the second thing of why we preach like this is expository preaching, this step-by-step unpacking of the meaning of Scripture, is it teaches us to read our Bibles. Can I just explain this to you this morning? Never before in the Christian church has there been such an availability of Scripture and yet such an ignorance of it. And I don't want to be unkind, but let me explain it to you like this. Often for many of us, when we open the Bible, we don't know where to start. Not so. It's just this mass of overwhelming information, and it seems to be so random. What expository preaching does is, church, it tells you that this Scripture has an argument from start to finish. It's coherent. There's context. There's themes. And when you get preaching that starts to unpack the flow of Scripture, when you open up your Bible, you're able to follow it. And let me tell you, it is a game changer in being able to apply the Word of God to your life. The third reason why we preach like this is that it is supremely balanced. Let me tell you the danger for any preacher in any church, and you will hear it in church movements, is when you don't approach Scripture systematically, what happens is you usually get a hobby horse. It's all about money. It's all about faith. Trusting God through hard times. It's all about, it is one dimensional. You'll never hear preaching on the law of Moses. You are never hear preaching about all these different aspects that we have to attend to in our lives. What we are left with is a single one-dimensional diet. We all have preferences, not so. But this kind of preaching, it draws us out into a balanced approach. Two more things. Expository preaching, it slows things down. Can I ask you, after Matthew chapter 5, you might be asking the question, gosh, how long are we going to be on Matthew chapter 6? Can I ask you another question this morning? How much of Matthew chapter 5 have you applied to your life? God is not interested in your knowledge. He's interested in your application of the knowledge and do yourself a favor read Matthew 5 ask yourself the question God how have you gripped my heart how has my life changed in response to your word let me tell you we have tackled massive aspects of the Christian life and if you look back over Matthew chapter 5 you must ask yourself the question how much am I looking more like Jesus friends this is the pursuit of we are not here for knowledge We're here for transformation, amen? And the last is this, is this way of approaching scripture, it produces spiritual depth. And let me explain it to you like this. When you start to see that this faith is a whole, it's coherent, there's an aspect of how I can apply God's big work in creation to my little life here on earth, let me tell you, it develops such a balanced, profoundly stable Christian I know what it's like to go up and down in your Christian walk. It's generally because we've got nothing to hold to, not so. And I'm concerned a little bit is if you look at what's outside, I'm sorry, I have to speak into this. I'm not trying to be censorious or trying to be uh, uh, otherwise. But this is my job, is to alert you to the danger. The way the Christian faith is currently being portrayed is that Jesus is this talisman of faith. Oh, hold on to Jesus and and he'll get you through the troubles and difficulties and trials. And there is a place for that. But that's not the only aspect of our Christian life. Can I tell you the most helpful thing in your hour of need and difficulty is understanding the plans and purposes of God. Can I say to you what you need in your hour of trouble and trial is not just a pep talk. What you need to know is who you are in Jesus. Jesus. You're a child of God, that you're coming to this Father in heaven who knows the start from the end, that all of your days are numbered in his book, that not one of them is going to come to pass without him knowing about it, that you are totally secure in this almighty God, amen? That this whole plan and purpose of God, it doesn't matter whether this life is passing away, you're going to go into the next life, this world's just a small little smidgen of history, and we're going to be with the God of glory forever. When your child is running off doing stuff that is breaking your heart, when there is no money in the bank, when there is health issues, when God is delaying and there's disappointment in how he's coming to you, you have something to hold you because you see how big this God is. You see the plans and purposes of his life. It's not the small-minded Christianity where everything's on my terms and if it's not on my terms, I'm sulking. When you start to see the depths and the power and the glory of God that Scripture presents to you, you start to live differently, think differently, pray differently, believe differently. Your whole life begins to change. Amen? This is the glory of our salvation, church. Is you've got a God who knows what He's doing and He knows how to get us where He wants to go. And the comfort, the comfort does not come in the tiny circumstantial detail The comfort comes when God begins to show you and me that he is fully in control. And so this is why we tackle this series. We believe as an eldership the Holy Spirit is not finished yet on this mighty Sermon on the Mount. And we believe that what we are needing to do as a church is to lift up our eyes to think differently about the way we live. And we've called it for the Father's eyes only because Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow him, you have to think about your life in a different way to what you thought about before. We have to be motivated by this all-encompassing sight of our Father in heaven. I'm going to unpack that in just a moment. But what we're going to argue with in a good way today and try and get you to see is the game changer in your life. And what determines how far you go in your Christian walk is determined whether or not you're going to live for the Father's eyes only. And I'll explain to you why I say this. I had a very worrying conversation in our Tough Questions series. We tackled the question, why should I believe the Christian faith when so many Christians are hypocrites? Ever had that? Heard before? Christians are all hypocrites, not so? I got called that a few times, and they're probably correct. But the guy came up to me afterwards and he said, Matthew, I have a problem. Why is it? Why should I believe Christianity when you make such a radical claim about salvation? You say you're born again. That the old is gone. We sang it this morning. The new has come. That there is such a powerful change inside of you. And yet when I look at Christians, so few show so little change. And I was able to point to the past and say, this is what the church has achieved. Come on, look at this. But I could point you so little in the present. And that deeply troubled me. Because you see, it's not that our salvation is defective. Hear me on this. It's not that the work of God in us is defective. It is how we apply our salvation to our lives that makes all the difference. Are you with me? And so... I want to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 3 with you this morning. Let's read it together. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order, here it is, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, (laughs) as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. Ah, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And here it is so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, there's two ways of living out your Christian faith this morning one is being motivated, like these guys these hypocrites they would say look at me I'm giving if it was a thanks offering service last week they would have run down the aisles with their check and made sure you saw it all and go in we go whoops I dropped it my 200,000 rand and everyone would have applauded and going, oh he's so wonderful she's so spiritual that is the one way is we seek to live our lives for the praise of others now we've all done this we all struggle with this but the second is this Jesus is saying oh no no If we're going to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect, the verse before this, we have to live our lives to be seen and praised by the Father who sees in secret. Now, why does this matter? If you choose to live your life to be seen and praised by people, Jesus says hypocrisy comes in. Do you know where hypocrisy comes from? It's from the Greek word actor. You know when those actors used to wear masks? And how does it work? An actor runs onto the stage and plays something other than what they really are. Not so? And when they go back behind the curtains, there's something else. And the reason why it's so good to be called an actor or a hypocrite to be called an actor is because what are they all looking for? They're looking for? They're looking for applause. Do you know why we're in trouble as the Christian church is because our society is obsessed with the public persona anyone here on Facebook man we love to create it's okay you haven't sinned yet (laughs) I'm just teasing you so you and when you post something you look for how many likes Twitter, how many trends, or whatever it's called, I'm not on Twitter, or Instagram. And we put things on to make people see an aspect of our lives that they think is wonderful. Not so. I tell you, Facebook is the biggest cause of coveting in this world. It is a false reality. And what we are trained to be obsessed with is that this outward appearance matters more than our Father who sees in secret. Amen? I don't know if that was the right time to say amen. It's true. And what happens here is, the difficulty comes in, is we only behave in a certain way when we're in certain company. So let me tell you how it plays out. Anyone here got young families, before you get to church, put on your shoes, come on in there, and, uh, and you eventually get them in. Hello everybody, you come to church, hi, God's so good, I'm going to kill you when I get home. That's how you, this is how we behave. And when we're outside of all these lovely people you can say, Oh, you're so wonderful, we're brutal. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And so when we get to our friends who aren't Christians, oh, we put on the other mask because it's nice to behave in a way where we get there, applause. That's the problem. And, and I tell you, you can be a Christian and be motivated by this. And the reason why we are in the state that we're in, and I'm including myself here, is that when the world sees us, we are running after the same applause. That's the problem. That's the heart of it, is our desire as Christians is we fundamentally believe the same rhythm and purpose and motivation of this world is to be seen by others. When Jesus is saying, and this is why it comes later in Matthew chapter 6, he's saying, guys, at this point, you have to understand something. Your life needs to be under the gaze of somebody else. And your focus has to be on somebody else. Why is this a game changer? Can I say to you, if you choose to live for God's well done and the Father's eyes only, you realize he sees the whole of your life all the time. And so you can't behave any other way because he's always there and his eyes are always on you. And when you seek to please the Father, oh, you start to realize your level of desire to please him goes much deeper than people. Can I say to you this morning, my wife, she knows me better than anybody else on the planet, but she doesn't know the motives of my heart. She doesn't know my thoughts. I've got no context in her life. But with God, when you start to live your life for his eyes only, you start to realize he knows your motives. He knows your thoughts. He knows where your heart is. And when you seek to please the Father, you've got to hear me on this. When you start to please the Father, suddenly your level of righteousness goes way deeper than anything you could have done in trying to exceed the applause of mankind. And what it leads to, this is important. Please hear me on this. What it leads to is Integrity in your life what does it mean to have integrity it means every single aspect of your life is integrated around one purpose and so you know what it means to be someone who lives with the father's eyes only when byron i see his life as a teacher as a worship leader as a friend as a son as a member of society he's the same why Because he's pleasing the same God who watches over everything. And there's no change. Now, I want to just point out to you how powerful this motivation is to receive applause. And let me tell you, you might say, I know I don't live for the opinion of people. You've just told me what kind of opinion you want people to have of you. Can I see my 10-month-old little boy, Elijah, He's sitting there. We have some symbols. It's a stupid toy to get as a parent if you're wanting peace and quiet. But he smacks the symbols, and he waits, and he looks, and you must go, Yay! Well done! And he goes, and he waits. Yay! Let me tell you, I can see from my little boy, from the very earliest time, longs for a well-done. It is hot-wired into us, and let me tell you, it is a godly thing. Sure, sin can pervert it, but this morning, you have an intense desire in your heart to hear people, I'll put it there, because it comes from God, even God himself to say, well done, to be acknowledged, to be applauded. And it comes from the image of God, and before the fall, Adam knew what it was like to be totally affirmed, approved, and loved by God. And when this fall happened, it broke that in us. What happened in the end is we were left with a cracked pot. And the problem is this, is that as soon as you get a bit of top up of, of applause saying, my poor wife, she's so affirming, but she can never meet the need because I leak all the time. But when you start living for the glory of God, you start realizing he's always there. And it's a game changer. It's a game changer. And I want to go on to this morning and we'll see how far we get. But the only way you're going to experience what I'm talking about in your life of living for the Father's eyes only is if we have to start where we all need to start is whether or not we are able to call God Father. I'm praying for grace this morning to unpack it to you. But can you call God Father this morning? She can't yet. But may I just point out to you this morning, quickly, you need to understand the magnitude The the earth-shattering, poignant, I cannot get words enough. As a Jew, listening to Jesus, you were taught as a Jew, you call God Adonai, Lord, Master. And if you look at the history of Judaism, they've lost how to pronounce Yahweh, Yehovah, because they were told you can't even say his name. He's so holy. He's so other. He's so Lord. He's so perfect. He's so distant from you. You have to call him Adonai. And here Jesus says to his followers, he says, oh, your father who sees in secret will reward you. If it was me, I would have stopped Jesus and said, excuse me, what did you just say I could call God as? We could call God for the first time ever in the recorded gospels, Matthew chapter 5. We get to call God father. And this is something which is profound because Jesus applies this word Father so sensitively. When you read your Bibles, you must watch the way he applies this word Father. And I'm going to explain to you now how it works. When Jesus is preaching to the crowds, he will always say this. He will say, my Father. He won't say your Father. But when he's talking to his disciples, those who've come to faith in his Messiahship, they say, you're the one God's appointed. You are our anointed Savior. And we are following you, the one who's come to faith in Christ. What he says is different to any other context. He says, your Father. In actual fact, he says, we share the same Father. What's the first line of the, the Lord's Prayer? He says, our Father. And he's talking in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, to disciples only. We know this. But can I say to you this morning, to be a Christian is to be able to call God Father. Can I share a little insight as a a, ah, person that prays a lot with people? I notice if they are not saved by how they talk to God. It's not foolproof, but most of the time it's correct. When somebody who does not have a relationship with Jesus prays, they will say, God or Lord. They'll never say, Father. Because the whole concept to them is foreign. And they might even pray. They might even be regular, in their prayers at bedtime. They'll say, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for my children. They'll say, Lord. But when you hear someone of their own accord saying, Father, You know they're saved. Because what they are encapsulating as they approach this God, their concept and experience is one of, I belong to him. I have a relationship with this God. He is tender towards me because of what he's done for me in Jesus. I call him Father. And do you notice every time in Scripture, God begins to talk about whether or not we are saved. He uses the titles of God very carefully. Have you ever seen this? I saw this for the first time in preparing the sermon. He says here, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says here, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You can call God Lord and not know him. And can I just say there's a warning here. And I want to be very careful that as your elders, we are careful to shepherd you into the gospel. And the gospel is this. Your church busyness and attendance, you might even prophesy. You might even have some spiritual, uh, I don't know, weird gift like Simon Bar-Jonah or Bar-Jesus. You've got some strange sort of spiritual capacity. You might even ride the tide of what's happening in the church. You're so busy. You're doing things for God. Oh, but that's not the point. It's not how busy you are how much you're doing. And we must be careful as ministry leaders here. If you guys who are plunging and working themselves in the ministry, don't think that they're saved. What you have to look for in your children, in your friends, even in your own life is, do you know God as Father? Because he doesn't say, those who say, Father, Father, I never knew you. No, no, he says, those who say, Lord, Lord. Oh, but when the Bible talks about the word Father, there is such security. Anyone remember the prodigal son? Let me tell you, that man... He was a stoic aborta. He went off and to the world. He said, This father's dead to me. Oh, but what happens in the pig star? Anybody know the pig star? I know the pig star. As he says, my father's house. It is much better than not, not the fact he's got a problem of how he's gonna come back. That's not what I'm pointing to. What I'm pointing to is there is the father, he's waiting for his son. There's the son, he recognizes in his sin, he's got to go back. His father's house was much better than what he's experiencing now. And when he comes, what does the father do? He knows him. There's my son. I'm gonna to run to him. There he is, there he is, I'm gonna run as this undignified Jewish man. Let me tell you, the backslidden Christian knows God as father. And they're on the run when they see some sort of church activity or somebody praying. Or they are on the run because they know where home is and they don't want to go back. They know who their father is. They don't want to go to him. Oh, but the person who's never known God as father, it's so easy to deny him. Let's say, chuck in the towel. There's no relationship. And there's a spiritual reason why this use of father is so sensitive in Scripture. It's because salvation, essentially, is changing who your father is. We don't like to hear this, but it's the truth. When you and I were born on this planet, we had a father who's called the devil. And Jesus points out very carefully to the Pharisees who were not saved. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and father of lies. Do you know why we feel at home in our sin before we come to Christ? It's because it's the home of our father, the Satan, the devil. Isn't home where you feel the the most comfortable? I know it's for me i go into my mom's home. First thing I do is open the cupboard and eat. It's home. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. My friend, before Christ is revealed to you by a summoning of the Father, you and I are in total darkness. You do not call God father because he's not your father. In actual fact, you feel at home with the father of all eyes. And what happens in salvation is this. Is it says, it's the mightiest verse. John chapter 6 verse 44. No one can come to, the, come to me unless the father who sent me draws him we are totally in this darkness you might be so confused about an unbeliever in your life and you say why are they doing this my friend?" they can think no other they can do no other because they can see no other and that was the story of your life and mine before christ not so we did things we regretted we went things that we didn't even think twice about we went headlong into sin why because we were in total darkness oh but the glorious day of when christ is presented to us by the spirit god starts to summon us And it can happen in a few, over a period of years, or it can happen in a moment when God starts drawing a man or woman in. Oh, and as a Christian, you can start to see it happening. They start to experience discomfort. It can be through trial. It can be through pain. It can be through some aspect where God starts to draw them out of themselves and begins to shine the Spirit into their heart. And what begins to happen? There comes a moment in their life. And if this moment has not happened to you, you are not yet a Christian. Where God shows you your sin. Before, it was not sin because it was the only thing that you knew. And you justified it by saying, oh, well, everybody else is doing it, so I'll do it too. I'm a, I'm a bit better than the one who's at the bottom of the rung. I might not be the one at the top, but I'm okay. I'm somewhere in the middle. That's how we think. And what happens is when the Spirit, if this has not happened to you yet, or if it is happening to you now, I want to help you recognize it, is the moment you come to faith is when God summons you by the Spirit. And what you see for the first time is not how wonderful you are. You see your sin. You see your nakedness before this God. I'll even say the word wretchedness. And suddenly, all your wonderful things, with all the likes on Facebook, they mean nothing. All the kudos on your striving means nothing. All of the followings on your tweets, your worldly possessions, your worldly achievements, all of your morality, it's nothing. Instead, what you see is this holy God and the squalor of your own sin. Ah. But in that moment, something else is seen. And you never saw it before because you never saw your need for it. Is you see the gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? Do you understand what it means to become a Christian? The word used is we repent. What does that mean? We change our mind. Why is it always powerfully effective when God summons a person? It is because for the first time in your life, you can see where you've been, what you've done, the kind of sin that you have. And you can see this God of glory and holiness and you realize there is no way you can reach the gap. There is nothing you can do. You cannot reach out to God in your own self. In actual fact, what happens is you see the gap is so wide, you need rescuing. And the reason why repentance is always effective is because for the first time, you can just see it's the most logical, logical conclusion in the world. Because you see what you're like, and you see what God is like, you need Jesus. It's logical. And don't you notice that when you come to faith in Christ, when you look back, You go, why couldn't I see that before? Anybody experience that? If you can't see that, then my friend, there's a little bit more work to be done. Or you'll say, why can't other people see this? I watch young believers who come to faith in Jesus Christ. They just tell everybody about Jesus because they think, why can't anybody else have what I have? And they're shocked by the response of these people to the gospel because they're going, can't you see? Can't you see? The joy Of God drawing us in. It is the greatest moment of grace. Ever thought possible. And when you see God offers Jesus as a gift. And you see this God of glory. Going I'm welcoming you in. If you will receive Jesus Christ, what is that scripture? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And the grace of God to wash away your sin without payment, without a loan. It's not an access bond. And God drawing you in by sheer grace and saying, I'm putting my love on you in Christ. You're mine. I'm washing away that old sinfulness. If you have no concept of sin, you have no need for salvation, not so? Oh, but the joy of seeing what Jesus means to you. Because you know where you've come from and how great your need was. My friend, that is somebody who's able to come to God rejoicing and saying, this is a God like no other. And in Christ, I get to call him Father. And salvation means, literally, you go from having the Father who is Satan to Father who is the King of Heaven. And there's this transfer from one kingdom of darkness to another kingdom of light. And you've been adopted into the God's family by a new birth. And you become a child of God. And this is why when you try and return to your old lifestyle, maybe that's some of you here. You try to go back to what you love doing. You try to go back to your old home. It doesn't feel like home anymore, not so? Suddenly, guys are looking at you saying, you changed. What's different about you? Oh, my friend, you've got a new father. You've got a new home. Suddenly, the things that felt like home and felt so natural to you, you can't stand anymore because something has happened in your life that is spiritually profound. You've got a new dad. And so, I put it to you this morning. Can you call God Father? I don't have time. I will deal with it next week. But I want to ask you this morning when you pray, when you read your Bible, when you come to church, when you are going through the rhythm of your life, when you extend your voice to heaven. Do you have a sense that you're praying to your father? There's a big difference. That's not a policeman. It's not an insurance policy. It's not a concept. And next week we'll unpack what it means to walk with God as father. And there's a bit of baggage to that. But I want to ask you today, do you have a sense that you belong to God? Because when we talk about the Father's eyes only, it will be the most unsafe place for you. Let me tell you, when you start to try and live for God outside of Christ, it is terrifying. I've been there. I've done that. I never want to go back there again. And when we talk about what does it mean to live for the Father, that becomes an extremely unnatural, foreign, and almost unsafe place. Unless you can say this morning with me, I know whom I've believed. I call him Father. Let me tell you, I'll, just, I'll slot it in here at the end before we go into communion. Some of you might have had people who have said about their Christian faith, I'm done, it's gone, I'm never coming back, and they've happily carried on in their life. Can I say to you, there is a place where someone can come in and worship. They can do all of the stuff that we do. But there's never been a relationship with God. They've only called God Lord or God. And that's how they've responded. There's been no sense of life in them. And so all that they're doing when they leave the Christian faith, they're going back to the original father. The father who's always been their father. The father of lies, Satan. It's the natural thing for them to go home. But for the Christian who knows what it means to have Christ's blood poured on their lives and to have the Father say, You are forgiven. And that we get welcomed into royalty in heaven where we look at this God of heaven and we don't see Him as this taskmaster. We don't see Him as this insurance policy. We see Him as our Father who knows the number of hairs on our heads. Even as we pray, the Spirit inside of us says, Abba, Father, this is the one who loves me. This is the one who's rescued me. This is the one I live for. Let me tell you, we make stupid decisions as Christians. But thankfully, the Father and the Father's love, it is unconditional. You know, we are so slow to believe the love of God for our lives, not so. Let me tell you the Father will never forsake you. How can I be so sure? Because on the cross, when Christ was the only time he did not call God Father, was when he was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening? The Father had turned his face away and he was forsaken for the sake of our sin so that we would never be forsaken. And the way that we are to live our lives is with a high degree of confidence that the Father's love, it is unbreakable, unquenchable. It even goes after the prodigal. It even welcomes back the most wretched sinner into his presence. It is unconquerable in Jesus Christ. And for us this morning, living for the eyes of our Father, it is the safest place for the Christian. Amen. Because what can separate us from the love of God? Can hardship and persecution and illness and sickness, even death. No, no. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. If you are in Christ, the Father has set his love upon you and will not forsake you. Why? Because of who you are? No, my friend, because of who Christ is. Because he honors what Jesus did on the cross. Let me tell you, the love of the Father, it is the most profound thing. It even offered up his own son for you. And the joy of knowing God as the Christian is to call him Father. And what we are doing now in communion is we are celebrating what enables us to do so. I'm going to ask the deacons and hospitality team to hand this out in a moment. But I want to remind you of what Jesus said. He says, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And listen to this. I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine, Until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? With us in our Father's kingdom. And so this morning, let's close our eyes as we come. Deacons, just wait a moment. Before we hand out, I want to just take this opportunity. Is there anybody here who knows they cannot call God Father this morning? I want to help you. You don't have to feel you are worthy for this. You don't have to feel prepared for it. If you see your need right now, God invites you to come. Is there anybody here who knows They have never been able to call God Father. Then right now, I want to help you deal with what is separating you from God. It's called sin. And what we are about to do in taking this cup and bread is we are proclaiming the way of salvation for the world. And the way that God had to deal with your sin was through Christ's crucifixion, by him being separated, experiencing death on our behalf so that our penalty of sin can be covered in him. And if this is you this morning, you're saying, Jesus, I want salvation. I want to be able to call God Father. I want you to deal with my sin. I want to lead you through a time where I'm going to help you talk to Jesus. Christians, if... Actually, wait, no, no, forget that. Let's just focus on this for a moment. If that's you, I want to help you speak to Jesus in your heart. Would you say this to him? Would you say, Jesus, you know where I've been. You know what I've done. My sin is before you. I don't hide it anymore. I need you to forgive my sin. I need you to wash me clean by the blood that was spilled for me on the cross. Would you say that? I need you to wash me clean by the blood that was spilled for me on the cross. I believe you died for me and you rose again. Will you say one more thing to Jesus? Would you say this? Would you say... Jesus, I want to live for you as best as I know how. Fill me with your spirit. Show me who my Father in heaven is. Amen. For the rest of us here, Father, as we're going to take this cup and eat this bread, Lord, We thank you for what it gives us, this assurance of salvation and the knowledge of God as Father. What dignity, Lord, what precious price was paid that we get to experience the love of the Father, the security of his fathering, his provision, his leading, his goodness. We don't drink this, Lord, with ungrateful hearts this morning. We don't eat this body flippantly, Lord, symbolized in this bread. Lord, we come with grateful hearts. We're so thankful for this salvation. So I'm going to ask you to stay in this attitude of worship. Will the deacons please come hand out and the hostility team? And let's enjoy this fellowship with the Father through Jesus the Son. I just sense if there's anybody here who's struggling with sin, and you can't seem to feel forgiven, this is the time for you to take the cup and the bread. This is the persuasion of saying, God has forgiven me. If you've confessed that sin before the Lord, this is for you this morning to experience peace with your Father, peace with your Father. The second thing is there's some here I just feel in my heart that there's circumstances in your life. That's doubting. You're causing to doubt the love of the Father. If that's you, if you are doubting, as you take the cup and bread this morning, God is saying, have I not proven my love for you? If I have not withheld my son, I'll not withhold what you need. I'm going to ask us to all stand this morning. What a joy, Lord, to hold salvation; its symbol in our hand, Lord, we are saved. We are born again. This blood of Jesus is the most powerful thing in the universe. Cleanses from sin allows forgiveness, allows a fresh start, allows us to experience the love of the Father. What a mighty salvation we enjoy as we eat and drink this morning. And Lord, we want to say to you as a church, we love you. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful for what you've done for us. We call you Father through thick and thin. You're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. What a joy to have this kind of love from heaven. We praise you this morning, Lord. We rejoice in this salvation. So let's eat and drink together. Lord, as we go from this place, I pray with God rejoicing, tasting and eating of the price that was paid in Jesus. And Lord, as we take, travel through these next couple of weeks, might the love of the Father grow in our lives. And might there be a wonderful sense of living for the eyes of one. We pray this in your precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. If you uh, came to faith for the first time or came back to faith, come chat to us in front. We'd love to help you take a few next important steps.